remember the story of Goldilocks and the three bears. Do kids actually know that story today? Do we still tell it to them? I, I've been trying to keep it going with my grandkids. Uh, I've got it memorized so I can tell it to them at various times. But it's one of the most famous fairy tales of all time. And some of the classics, you just can't let them go. But it's actually the story of a juvenile delinquent who named Goldilocks, who starts a one-girl crime uh, scheme or wave against three helpless bears. And we've got breaking and entering, we have vandalism, and we have theft by eating, and the list goes on. And I'm actually not even sure what the moral of the story is, but the 19th century fairy tale of Goldilocks and the Three Bears actually has something that we are going to use, a concept that we're going to use as a place to start with in our conversation today. So the three bears are about to eat their breakfast of porridge, but it's too hot, so it needs to cool for a while. Now, my oldest daughter, Brittany, has discovered an answer for the three bears. You mix in about a third of a cup of frozen blueberries, and it cools the porridge off. You can eat it right away. It's even more healthy because of the blueberries. But the bears didn't have that, so they went for a walk. And while they're out there on their walk, along comes this girl named Goldilocks, and she breaks into their house. So first of all, we've got breaking and entering. And then she sees three bowls of porridge, and so she tests them. First one was too hot, the first one was too cold, but then the third bowl was just right. And so she ate the whole thing. So now we have a petty misdemeanor charge of, of larceny that she has committed. And then Goldilocks sees three chairs, and she tries to sit in all of them. But the first one was too big, the second one was also too big, and then the third one was just right. And she sat on that chair, but then it broke into pieces. So now we have the willful destruction of property. And that's added to her rap sheet. So she's exhausted from her crime scene, a spree, sorry. So she goes upstairs and looks for a place to lie down. And she sees three beds, and one of them is just too hard. And then the next one is too soft. She said, I, I can't sleep in this. But then the third bed was just right. And so she lied down and she went to sleep. And then the three bears, they came home and they weren't aware of what was going on, but they saw things broken. And before Papa Bear can get out his iPhone and bring up the app for his insurance company so he can start an insurance claim, she wakes up and she runs out of the property, and it's the end of the story, justice grinds to a halt. But we're left with a two-word goal that is very worthy of how to do life, and it's that just right. Uh, wouldn't that be wonderful if food was just the right temperature, not too hot, not too cold? Wouldn't it be wonderful if uh, work was just right? We, wouldn't, we don't want to struggle to have to find full-time work. We like to find it. But then seven and a half, eight hours a day is nice. But then we don't have to want to work longer than that. Or maybe financial security. We don't want to be a millionaire or have to be a millionaire. 
but it would be nice to live comfortably and be able to retire and relax a little bit. And then what about emotions and relationships? What if we enjoyed just the right amount of romance? What if we had the right amount of caution in our lives? Or, or what if we were motivated by just the right amount of ambition? We've got all the things that we need, but we don't need to go over the top. We don't have to have the nicest property in the area. So the book of Proverbs is 31 chapters long. The first 29 chapters were written by Solomon, and we've been using his name quite a bit during these summer months as we've been going through the book of Proverbs. But the 31st chapter was written by a man by the name of King Lemuel, and he's the one that describes a wife of noble character. And we sometimes use that scripture on Mother's Day because it's just amazing in talking about women. And there was a temptation to finish up the study on that chapter, but we're going to go with chapter 30. And chapter 30 was written by a guy that you might not even be familiar with, and he's so easily overlooked, and his name is Augur. And, and this is the only time that his name is mentioned in the Bible. He's not mentioned along with all the others in Hebrews chapter 11 in what we call the, the Faith Hall of Fame. And all we're told is that he was the son of Jacob, and his prayer is the only prayer in the book of Proverbs. Now, the first six verses of the chapter talk about Augur's humility, how he acknowledged his weaknesses. And then he also talked uh, as a prophet, and he talked about how through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that God would reveal his divine son. And we also see how Augur affirmed the authority of God's word. So here in verse 5, as you'll see, he affirmed, Every word of God is true. He guards those who come to him for safety. But what we want to use today is the best of what he wrote. And we could call that the buried treasure in Proverbs 30. And that's a three-verse prayer that is a shocking formula for trusting God and for discovering his will for our life. And here it is. And I would like all of you to stand, please. Maybe some of you grew up in a tradition where you read scripture all together uh, out loud. But we're going to do that this morning with Augur's prayer, just these three verses. So two things I ask of you, Lord. Now everybody speak out, please. Do not refuse me before I die. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. Give me neither or riches but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Thank you. Have a seat, please. So I pray that the Lord will make his word come alive from you over the next few minutes as we look at that prayer. And the prayer begins with this statement. Just be simple with your prayers. In verse 7, two things I ask of you, Lord. Do not refuse me before I die. So Jesus warned about drawn, uh, long, drawn-out, complicated prayers because they don't accomplish anything. My grandmother 
actually great-grandmother, lived to be 102. And she was still praying for all the family meals up to the age of 100. But those prayers were getting longer and longer. She was losing her place, repeating herself. And then finally, my grandfather just had to take over and, and, and push her aside. But we don't want to have prayers like that. We want to have prayers that are, are, are focused So in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, don't babble on and on as the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. So why is that such a good strategy for prayer? And it's all because of the attention span. And I'm not saying that God has a short attention span. God can be listening to the prayers of millions of different people all at the same time, and he can remember every one of those. So the issue isn't God's attention span, it's ours. And if we have a personal prayer list that would take hours to pray all the way through, we're going to have a hard time tracking God's response to each of those prayers. But I think Augur's example of an approach to prayer is worth remembering. So anytime you can boil your prayer requests down to a specific number of heartfelt desires, you're going to actually find yourself more aware of God working in and through you to deliver those prayers. Now, I'm not saying we pray the same thing over and over again, although there are times when we do that, we're praying over and over again for Peter Boyer. But I've probably had a hundred different names, things on my prayer list at times. And there's no way that I can pray through that whole list every day because you know what's going to happen. I'll get to number 52 when my eyes close and my head starts to bob. So I pick 10 or 20 of those each day and I concentrate specifically on them. The other phrase that strikes me about Augur's prayer is the phrase, do not refuse me before I die. Now, it's a small detail, but it's a reminder that Augur is praying for the everyday, real world, practical things in his life. Because sometimes we get into a super spiritual mindset where we think somehow that the only thing God cares about is heaven and eternity and what happens to us after we die. Now on Tuesday, I was with Louise Terrio, mother of Alexi Kay, one of the members of our church, and she was dying with cancer and actually passed away on Friday night. But she asked me questions about eternity. She was asking me questions about what heaven would be like, and it's very appropriate at that time. But don't get me wrong, that should be our ultimate concern. It's being in heaven one day but we have immediate concerns as we live here on earth. And we have concerns about what's going to happen here. And our Heavenly Father is very concerned about what is going on in our everyday lives. So be with your prayers. Talk to God the Father. Philippians 4, 6 says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. 
And then what two things does Augur ask for? He has identified two personal weaknesses that he's struggling with. And one of them is discerning the truth, and the other one is owning stuff. So we're going to tackle those one at a time. And this brings us to the second lesson of Augur's prayer. He says, be a stickler for the truth. And this is what he prayed. Keep falsehood and lies far from me. So you can almost hear his thought process as if he's saying, I know the world is filled with lies and I know the world is trying to trip me up too often. But he says, Father in heaven, please protect my ears from hearing lies that may lead me down the wrong path and keep my lips from lying so that I might not deceive others. And then the next part of his prayer is about moderation and balance. He says, give me neither poverty or riches. I don't need to live in a mansion, but I also don't want to live in a cardboard box either. But when it comes to discerning truth, Augur doesn't talk about moderation. He's not saying, give me a little bit of truth and give me a little bit of shadiness. He's not saying, make me mostly honest. No, he says, keep falsehood and lies far from me. So I think Augur's onto something here because truth matters. There is truth. And one of the things that I hear people say quite often is that we, there is no truth. We can no, uh, excuse me, not find any ultimate truth. And that's hogwash, if we go by my grandmother's saying. There is absolute truth, and we can know it. And we don't have to be Pontius Pilate. In John 18, he was questioning Jesus. And Pilate said, so you are a king. And Jesus answered, you were the one saying I am a king. This is why I was born and came into the world, to tell people the truth. And everyone who belongs to the truth listens to me. And then Pilate said, well, what is truth? And after he said this, he went out to the crowd again and said to them, I find nothing against this man. So friends, we don't have to throw our hands up in the air and pretend as if there is no truth that we can actually believe, that we can't find out who is telling the truth because we have the mind of Christ and Christ has come into the world to bear witness to the truth. So when we pray that prayer of Augur, keep falsehood and lies far from me, we realize that's a two-way street. We pray for discernment with what we receive because not every news source is trustworthy. Having a Twitter account or whatever is the latest social media platform that doesn't make you an expert. And just because something is shared or liked or retweeted or whatever six million times doesn't make that thing true. And then dis we have to have discipline with what we share because truth matters, and it dishonors the name of Jesus if we pass on something that we know to be false. So Augur recognizes that God is the source of virtue and integrity. He wants to be on the winning team, and that comes from hearing the truth, discerning the truth, and then speaking the truth. But then he moves along, and he tells us that we need to be satisfied with our stuff. The first half of Augur's prayer is universal. After all, everyone wants to know what's really true, 
even crooks and liars want to know what's true. They may not listen to it, but they want to know what it is. But Augur's next request is a stunner because he dares to ask for a life of moderation. He says, give me neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Now, moderation, that's not on everybody's checklist, especially here in the 21st century. We live in an age of extremes. Bigger is better, more cars, more closet space, more shelves for more trophies, more activities, more responsibility, so you can gain more and more. I read that there are 70,000 storage facilities in the U.S. and Canada. And it's more than McDonald's, Wendy's, and Tim Hortons combined with all their storage spaces and restaurants. And there was a 27% increase in one year, almost $5 billion spent on the construction of new facilities so that people would have a place to store their stuff that won't fit into their houses. And it just keeps growing from year to year. But then on the flip side, the other extreme is an entire subculture choosing to live as minimalists. They're cutting up their credit cards. They're cutting out the clutter in their lives. They don't want the latest gadgets. Their entire wardrobe fits into one backpack or, or one cardboard box. And they live in micro apartments and tiny homes, maybe even living off grid. And you're probably never going to hear a prosperity gospel preacher quoting Proverbs 30, verse 8. They might agree with the first part, don't give me poverty. But the second part, don't give me riches. They're not going to buy into that. And the minimalist crowd, they agree with the second half of that, but they're not going to agree with the first half. So Augur, he's not promoting minimalism, nor is he saying that wealth and influence define success. He endorses uh, neither fast or slow, big or small, fancy or simple. Augur is praying for the grace to live in the sweet spot. And that's the perfect mixture of you getting what you need and needing what you get. And he sums it up nicely by saying, give me only my daily bread. Now, when Augur wrote that chapter, his peers would have instantly connected his prayer to the daily manna that God delivered to the nation of Israel during that 40 years when they wandered through the wilderness following Moses to the promised land. Every morning, Exodus 16 tells us that God provided manna for the Israelites, and it was once a day, and it was just the right amount at just the right time. And if they gathered more than they needed and didn't eat it that day, then it would actually spoil. So you can look at just about every area of your life and see the danger of overindulging. It could be food. It could be drink. It could even be exercise, work, hobbies, whatever. We need to find that balance in our lives. So your daily bread, no more, no less, your finances, your health, your relationships, your activities, your emotions, they all have a balance. And even in a marriage, there's a balance there for a husband and wife to find to meet each other's needs. But Augur's prayer for his daily bread was written a thousand years before Jesus came on the scene. 
And today we recognize a phrase from the Lord's Prayer that was delivered by Jesus in his Sermon on the Mount when he said, give us today our daily bread. Now the words are comfortable and we nod our heads and we say, yes, God, please meet our daily needs. But the thing is, that's not what Augur prayed for. He added the word only. And that introduces an entirely different level of trust in the one who provides. It takes a bit of courage to say, give me only my daily bread. And why would anyone pray that way? And the challenge from Augur's prayer gives two good reasons to help us understand. First of all, he said, be honest with yourself. So we're in verse 9. Otherwise, I may have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord? Or I may become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. The auger identifies his weakness here, and, and it was materialism, and it, stuff. He knew that if he had too much stuff, then he would take credit for that himself. And then he knew he'd be talking about the fact that he didn't need God after all. But if he had too little, he felt he would steal and thus dishonor God. So he wasn't talking about the fact that our cash flow would be just right. And, and to be clear, money itself wasn't the problem. It was Augur's emotional attachment to that money. The Bible doesn't say money is the root of all evil. And here's the verse that people get confused on by that. And that's 1 Timothy 6. The love of money causes all kinds of evil. And, and that's the difference in there. Some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money, but they have caused themselves much sorrow. So we applaud Augur's self-awareness. He's praying in essence, Lord, keep me dependent upon you. And he's having a complete trust in him, and he finds that that gives him a balance in his life. He's saying, I can't do life without you, God. So his underlying concern was that he would never forget that he would never dishonor God. God's glory always came first, and that was his only passion. So I want to bring this all together. And the reason this is called the prayer of Augur is because Augur addressed those two biggest needs, discerning truth and owning stuff. And we all need to pray that God would keep falsehoods and lying far from us. But what about that second one? Is owning stuff and being content with what you have, is that the thing that's tripping you up right now? Do you need to find that sweet spot right in the middle where you don't have more or, or less? Is something right in between? Or is it something else for you? So let's move beyond Augur's temptations and vulnerabilities and let's talk about yours. Augur's prayer can actually be a blueprint for your life and especially for any area of your life that is out of balance right now. And I want you to think about a specific area of your life that is that you feel is out of balance right now. Maybe you just feel mad all the time. Maybe you're constantly complaining. and Maybe you're constantly comparing yourself to others. Maybe you deal with insecurity. Maybe you're afraid of confrontation. 
And then I want you to think about the two extremes of that behavior. So if it's anger, then maybe the extremes are rage on one spectrum and cowardice on the other. Or if your problem is comparison to others, then maybe you get jealousy and entitlement as one extreme and then worthlessness and self-loathing on the other. But you get the idea. Then thirdly, I want you to think about what would be in the middle between those. What would be that sweet spot? And if you aren't sure, ask God. Look at what he promises in James 1.5. But if any of you needs wisdom, you should ask God for it. He is generous to everyone and will give you wisdom without criticizing you. And then, just as Augur did, think about how living at either extreme might cause you to dishonor God. So if you tend toward being passive, you're going to dishonor God by letting injustice go unanswered. If you tend to be more toward unhealthy self-deprecation, you're going to dishonor God by forgetting the fact that you were created in his image. So let's that be your commitment, to stay in that sweet spot in the middle. In his book on the prayer of Augur, J. Pay Leitner, he gives a couple of examples. And keep thinking about your own prayer, but consider these examples. For someone dealing with anger, he said, give me neither furious rage nor vapid cowardice, but give me a constant sense of composure. Otherwise, I may wimp out and allow injustice to prevail and say, where is the Lord? Or I may lose my cool and so dishonor the name of God. For someone dealing with comparison, it give me neither hateful jealousy nor feelings of worthlessness, but give me a healthy self-respect and appreciation for the good fortune of others. Otherwise, I may forget that I'm a precious child of God and say, not even God could love me. Or I may become spiteful and bitter and so dishonor the name of God. Just bow for a moment and think about that area of your life that may be out of balance right now and the extremes and what you can do to bring that back into balance.